0: You can use your fingers. Um, The first reading is going to be taken from Matthew chapter 4. And that is on page 967 of the Church Bible. 967, Matthew chapter 4. Should have done it the other way around, actually, shouldn't I? The second reading is Romans chapter 8. And that's on page 1134. 1134, Romans chapter 8. And I'll go straight from 1 in Matthew to Romans. So, Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone." Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God, It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God this is the word of the Lord thanks be to God Heavenly Father we pray for Peter now as he comes before you as a vessel for your word. May we understand what is being spoken and keep it locked in our hearts, Lord, to use throughout the week. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Jennifer. Do you have a seat? Well, we're in the middle of a uh, sermon. Oh, I'm loud, aren't I? better than being too quiet. We're in the middle of a sermon series and we are, um, being, we are and have been uh, considering this book by Tim Chester called Enjoying God and uh, we've been looking at it through uh, sermons and through our home groups and uh, we are at the chapter which is called Enjoying the Spirit's Life in Every Temptation. That's the theme of uh, my talk, uh, Enjoying the Spirit's Life in Every Temptation. So we're going to be thinking about how do we enjoy the Spirit? How do we enjoy God in the midst of temptation? And I wonder what particularly tempts you. Everybody's different. It might be chocolate. Uh, It might be watching too much TV. Uh, It might be, if you're the the generation that that, uh, uses the internet, it might be spending too much time on the internet. Uh, It might be joining in with that little bit of news that you didn't know that somebody else knows and they just want to share with you and it's otherwise known as gossip. It might be that thing. Whatever it is that you find difficult to resist, that you know you shouldn't be doing or you know you shouldn't be joining in with it, well, that's a temptation. And the seven deadly sins will be there lurking in the background somewhere. You know them, don't you? Wrath, greed, sloth, pride, lust, envy, and gluttony. Now we don't want to be thinking about that at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning, but I'm afraid we are. So let's, let's be open about it. Those are in the background somewhere in all the temptations we face in our lives. And yet as we battle temptation, as, as these things come upon us day by day, we hear Jesus pray and ask us to pray, lead us not into temptation. So how did Jesus battle temptation in his life? Well, Matthew chapter 4, if you've got it open, is a good insight, a very good insight into how Jesus battles temptation and gives us a way of battling temptation as well in our lives. So do have it open before you. I think we can read the story and this, this account and, and very often sort of feel, well, it's, it's, it's somehow way beyond me. You know, it's, it's way outside my experience of life, these temptations that Jesus faced. And so we can struggle to know how to relate to the temptations that Jesus is faced here by the devil, given by the devil, uh, turning stones into bread and jumping off the highest point of the temple and so on. It's it's a bit removed from our experience. I've never been tempted to jump off the highest point of the temple, whether you have I don't know, but these are outside of our experience. And yet in a sense that is how they should be. Why is that? Well, because Jesus Christ was and is the Son of God. And so the temptations he faces here are because he is the Messiah. The devil is tempting him as the Messiah. And yet I'd like to to suggest to us this morning, to all of us this morning, that we're going to just look at one of the temptations. And we'll see it's a subtlety of the temptations. It's a subtlety that we, we find ourselves also being faced with subtle temptations. It's the craftiness of the devil and sin that gets us. And so we're just going to look at the first temptation and we're going to just see how Jesus deals with the temptation he has is, he is, given and how we can overcome temptation and lean on the Spirit of God in our lives as, as followers of Jesus. So let me ask a question as we start. What is a sinner? Lots of answers to that question, are there? Well, this is two responses <coughs> from two different people. Uh, Blaise Pascal, have you ever heard of Blaise Pascal? He's a philosopher. He said this There are only two kinds of people the righteous who believe themselves a sinner, and the sinner who believes themselves righteous. Oscar Wilde, you've heard of Oscar Wilde? He said this memorably. He said this Nothing makes one so vain as being told that one is a sinner. Nothing makes one so vain as being told that one is a sinner. Well, this is what another person said about being a sinner. He looked at at his own life. I quote, I often find I have the will to do good, but not the power. That is, I don't accomplish the good things that I set out to do, and the evil things that I don't want to do, I find I'm always doing. Yet, if I do the things that I don't really want to do, then it is not I, repeat, it is not I that do them, but it is my own nature in which I am a slave to to sin and death. It's an agonizing situation, a constant conflict, and who on earth can free me from the clutches of my own sinful nature? Who wrote that? St. Paul. Romans chapter 7 21 to 24. Paul is writing to the Romans and he is struggling with sin. How can I overcome that agonizing situation he's in, he's saying. Now, Blaise Pascal and Oscar Wilde, they're a little bit kind of, you know, they sort of let sin sort of, you know, it's like water off a duck's back. You know, it's not taken seriously in those quotes. But I think Paul, so Paul says it's best, said it's best. He said sin is something that affects our whole being. You know, we can't just brush sin off. It, it affects our whole being. We know it, don't You know it, I know it. It affects us. Every single person, not just us, but everybody in the whole world. Sin affects everyone. It's, it's the, the weight of guilt and the weight of sin. Paul points us out in Romans chapter 3. Very famous verse. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin affects everyone, whether they're a Christian or not. So how does this work out in our lives? Well, we, we feel guilty about the wrongs we've done. We feel bad about the hurts we've caused others. And at the same time, we feel bad about the things that we should have done and we haven't done. We might have, you know, we might sort of think, oh, I should have apologized to that person, but we were too proud. Or we should have expressed forgiveness to another person, but because we're harboring something in, like hatred, if that's, that's a strong word, but dislike, whatever it is, against them, we, we just don't bring ourselves to do it. And yet here in the account of Jesus in the wilderness we see a wonderful revelation that should set us free this morning. Free to worship God without fear and to give thanks to him with our hearts. Our whole hearts. And it's also the first reason why we have this account as to why Jesus was tempted. And the reason is this. Jesus suffers temptation but he never gives in. Jesus born without sin, Jesus lives a life without sin, he, he dies a death which sets us free from sin and that's good news, but it's also good news because Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted and yet he never gave in. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet did not sin. Jesus knows what it's like to face temptation. He understands it because he's walked this earth. But praise God, he never gave in. So that's the first reason that we have this, is that we can see that Jesus suffers temptation, and yet he doesn't give in. Secondly, we have this account because we are told that where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. What? You know the story of the Garden of Eden. You've been uh, around as Christians for long enough, I'm sure. Genesis chapters 1 to 3, God makes the world, creates Adam and Eve. God says, don't eat that fruit on that tree, because that's the, that's the one fruit I don't want you to eat, and so lo and behold they do. The serpent comes along and whispers in, the, in their ear and says, oh, no, don't be so silly, you can eat that fruit, you won't die, and they eat the fruit and psh, sin enters the world. It's a very abridged version, forgive me. But essentially, Adam and Eve gave in to that temptation to test God. The serpent is too crafty for them. And makes it sound like an opportunity not to be missed. And so Adam failed. And so the Bible says, where Adam failed, Jesus gets it right. Where Adam gave into to that lying, sneaky voice and says, oh, I'll go along with that, that doesn't sound too bad. Jesus says, no hold on, I know that's not God's voice and I know that's not God's best for me. So that's the second reason. Where Adam fails, Jesus succeeds. And thirdly, the the third reason we've got this account to read and to reflect on and pray through and and, and keep on dwelling on is that it gives us a pattern to overcome temptation. So that we can battle Satan. Satan and be standing at the end of it. So let's look at the first temptation he faces and see what we can learn from it ourselves. The first temptation is of turning stones into bread. And so Jesus is sitting in the desert, he's there in the desert on his own, and his stomach is empty. He's not eaten, eaten for 40 days. His throat is parched. In fact, Matthew 4, verse 2 says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, Margaret read it with a lovely emphasis on that. It's an understatement. You know, we we missed the full punch of that. He's hungry. Well, of course he is. Uh, I've been married to Debbie for 22 years, and she'll know and she'll tell you that, you know, if I miss one meal, I'm in a foul mood. Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's hungry. And so the devil approaches. And the devil is subtle. And the devil is inventive. And the voice is a voice of reason in in the ear of Jesus. And he says probably something like this. Jesus, sir, you look like you're having a rough time. By the way, you're the son of God, right? So why don't you turn these little stones, these little pebbles into bread? Not just for yourself, because I know you're a loving and a compassionate person. No, not just for yourself, but for all the starving people in the world. You know, they need you. They're they're hungry. They need this food. They need your power, Jesus, that you possess. Give them what they want. Give them what they need. Give them food. And then you'll be their hero. And they will follow you anywhere. Think about it for a moment. Doesn't sound too diabolical, does it? You know, feed the world. Take care of the poor. Uh, you know, give the hungry what they need. It's, you know, it's a noble cause. And so, they see, the temptation isn't so much in the Act as in the attitude. That's where the temptation is. It's not so much the act, it's the motivation behind it. Jesus is being tempted to take the easy way out. To bypass God's natural order of things. You know, don't, don't, don't grow food, just turn stones into bread. And that is the essence of all the temptations here. Take the easy way out. You know, go, go around God's plan. Don't worry about that. Be the ruler of the world. Bring peace, bring justice, bring love. And then people will follow you. But the thing is, you see, it's leaving God out of the picture. And you know what? Leaving God out of the picture is a good, good definition of sin. That's what sin is. And so when we look at it like that, these temptations actually aren't as far removed from our lives as we think they are. Because if we think about it as leaving God out of the picture, and as you controlling your life or me controlling my life, that's essentially the battle we're in. It's about control, it's about power, it's about accountability. And those are the, some of the sins we commit every day to do with that. Now this is key. Remember the Frank, Sinatra, the Frank Sinatra song? I did it my way. And there's a lot of theological truth in that. We like to have things our way when you think about it. We like it our way. We like to, to take God out of the picture and make it our way, do it our way. Control our lives. Live lives our way. We want control, and when we've got it, we think we're in control. But actually, we're like Paul. That is, I don't accomplish the good things that I set out to do, and the evil things that I don't want to do, I'm I'm always doing. What a miserable sinner I am. What am I to do? How am I to overcome these temptations? Okay, three ways. This is where we get practical three ways I want to suggest that you and I can overcome temptation that come out of this encounter of Jesus in the desert with Satan. Firstly, fight against the devil in the power of the Spirit. Secondly, use the Word of God wisely. And thirdly, remain committed to God and His Word. So firstly, fight against evil in the power of the Spirit. If you'll notice, verse 1 It says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He doesn't go on his own. He is Trinity. God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit goes with the Son into this this wilderness, this battleground. Now, if we want to face temptations... On our own, well, we're being foolish because Jesus didn't face temptations on his own. He faced temptation in the power of the Spirit. Galatians 3 verse 3 says this. Harsh, these are hard words. Are you so foolish, says Paul, are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by human effort? Facing temptation on our own is like taking a dip in a piranha-infested pool when you've got a cut on your leg. That's what it's like. It's foolish. The truth is we need someone in our lives who scares the devil, who causes him to tremble in fear, and that somebody is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit caused the devil to tremble and to fear because that same power ejected the devil out of heaven, and that same power will conquer evil on earth, has conquered evil on earth, and will do at the final battle and so that's why romans 8 is all about the spirit the spirit helps us in our weakness to overcome temptation those who live according to the spirit have their mindset on what the spirit desires it's a high calling but that's what we're called to do to live in the power of the spirit secondly fight against temptation with the sword of the spirit which is the word of god Notice again what what Jesus does. Jesus faces temptation and when he's facing it, he uses the word of God. It is written, it is written, it is written. He says over and over to the devil. He doesn't try to read him down. He doesn't try to argue him down. He doesn't display a great, display of power to impress Satan. No, he says this is the word of God. This is the sword of the spirit. Now Satan will have you believe there are certain temptations you can overcome by yourself. But the the Bible says flee. Flee from sexual immorality, from idolatry, from the love of money and so on. Don't Don't display your spiritual power. Don't play with temptation. Run from it. So what do you do when the devil gives you a scriptural reason to justify sin? Well, you might think it gives you permission to give in. You know, well, put it like that, Satan, I guess it wouldn't hurt just this time. Well, you know, Satan, you do have a good point. I never looked at it like that. Satan is the deceiver. And when you, when you recognize his voice, you can say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go that way. And yet, we, so we need to know the word of God You've got to, you've got to soak, be soaked in the, in, the, in the Spirit. You've got to be soaked in the Word of God. Because the devil knows the Bible. He'll quote the Bible at you. You've got to be able to know the Bible really, really well. Fight with the Word of the, of the Lord, the sword of the Spirit, the, the Word of God. Lastly, commitments. And I think this is an area that, that we, we very, very often fail in. It's commitments. Everything hinges on our commitments. Jesus quotes Scripture, but it's not his ability to quote Scripture that gives him victory. He quotes Scripture to let Satan know who and what he is committed to. And he's committed to obeying the Word of God. Now, yes, know the Word. And people sometimes, you know, shout up a storm. But you've got to be, not only know the word, you've got to be committed to what the word says. James chapter 1 says, do not merely listen to the word, but and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Tim Chester, in his book, describes it like this. Every time you're tempted to explode in rage, or go off in a sulk, or make it all about you, or find refuge in porn, or exaggerate to impress others. In all these situations and many more, you can enjoy communion with the Holy Spirit. In every temptation, you can enjoy the life of the Spirit. You can engage in the battle with a conscious sense of dependence on the Spirit. You can know the Spirit's power as you resist the pull of your your sinful desires. All you need to do is say no to sin, and yes to God. While we're, in this, while we're in this world, we're going to face temptation. There's no escaping it. And so we need to walk in the power of the Spirit, be using the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and remain committed to God and His Word. So, what can you do to put this into practice this week? Well, this is very personal to you, but this is just, just a, a couple of things. Maybe you need to surrender control of your life more to the Spirit, particularly in those areas of your life that you know you're struggling to give over control to God in. You know, we like to, as I said, we, we, we take God out of the picture. We say, no, I'll do that. I'll do that in my own strength. Maybe that's an area you need to give over to God. Give the Spirit control. Or maybe you need to immerse yourself more in the Word of God. Ask God to strengthen you and encourage you when those difficulties come. And lastly, remember there's always a way back. There's always a way back because of the cross of Christ. He will always take us back. Let's pray. Father, we live in a world where we are tempted, we can't escape it, and yet we see your son battling the craftiness of the devil and saying no to him and saying yes to your will. Father, help us to be real with you and with each other. Help us to be real with the struggles that we're going through. Help us to ask others for help. Help us to ask you for help, Lord. You're the one who can help us with the Spirit. Help us to walk in the the light and the strength of the Spirit each day. And Lord, as we do that, let us give all the glory to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.